This is the Decision Point with Anand and Dury. Anand, we had the NFL draft. We covered it live from Kansas City. You were at the draft. Talk about the experience. It was awesome, man. It took me, Jack, a couple others, and uh, we went into the media room and kind of got a chance. Jason Allwine had a couple of really great clippings of quotes where he asked, uh, I think it was C.J. Stroud first, about, um, you know, what he would give up for for the Texans to, to go draft Jackson as, you know, him and Will Anderson were up there. And he was like, oh, I give my left leg for that. And then, you know, we got to come back around. And when Jackson was up on stage, we told him about that and got his reaction. So it was a really cool experience. Obviously, it's it's great on our end to be, you know, considered a part of the media and create some of that actual content, be able to ask those questions ourselves. And, you know, obviously some of them are fantasy relevant. Some of them are just questions about players and how they interact. But again, really, really cool experience. And, and I think Kansas City did a fantastic job with that draft. And we were uh, all living together in the house. We had a big draft house. And uh, on Friday, the sewage in the basement started to rise. I think somehow if you flush the toilet and you're taking a shower, uh, a confluence of events, and then sewage rose up. We had a whole studio space in the basement set up. For day one. So if you go back and watch the stream of the NFL draft extravaganza, you could see where we're located. It's a different setup on day one than it was on day two. And I just got notification from Airbnb that we're going to get at least a 25% refund, if not a 50% refund. So we're, we're I'm in I'm in limbo whether we're going to get 25 to 50% refund for this. But there was raw sewage that was coming up just as we were preparing for day two. So we had to scramble. Then we created an ad hoc main desk in the kitchen. And then we decided to have the, the couch area being in the main living room. And it was way better. So actually, the sewage forced us to upgrade our studio space. And the funniest part about it, too, right, is we had three level, four levels of this house, if you include the basement, I guess, you know, four separate sections. And it, every all day, all day long, somebody was doing something right. Whether whether we had, uh, you know. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, forced us into some weird spots. But I mean, hey, I thought that the draft coverage went off without a hitch. I thought Cody, real MVP, Cody Carpentier doing all of the work. Day one, two, and three, man. Shout out to Cody. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, team MVP. He's a hero. He was the hero of the yeah, draft. If, if we get a... Uh... And he had uh, like a top 20 mock draft as well in the mock draft contest. <laughs> had he had just flipped Quinton Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jigba, <laughs> he would have been top 10, if not top five. Oh, my God. That's all he needed. He had the yep. wide receiver. He had right position, right team. Yep. And um, guy's good. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Cody for all the work that he does, man. Like, you know, you may not agree. We may not agree on every single thing, but I know that every opinion that Cody has has been well researched, documented. He's talked to somebody, you know, and those are the kinds of opinions you want, right? If you're gonna not, if you're gonna have an opinion that's not consensus, you want it to be based on something logical and tangible instead of, oh, I just woke up feeling this way. Yeah, imagine if you're me, right, and you only see these players from afar and you see their numbers, you see their workouts, you see their stats, and you don't have any additional context. You haven't talked to anyone that's actually been at a practice. And that's what Cody's doing. He's talking to all these scouts. He's talking to all these uh, executives, agents, and he's getting a sense for who these players are. And what their work ethic is like. And these other things that matter, really matter. And so I'm like, hey, player X. And then he'll just, under his breath, he'll go, dog, right? Or I'll go, I'll go player Y. And he'll be like, soft, you know? And I'm like, okay, interest, okay, interesting, right? All right. And then it, it, he'll talk about some of the things that happened to a player off the field, whether it was an injury he was playing through. There's just all this context that helps to evaluate players. He has all of that. And then so we have the like a Billy and a Dario getting the numbers. And you have a Cody and an Alex Dunlap there from Roster Watch helping us understand all of the other factors that are in play with these players. Uh, and it's like you really get 
the full picture. And so when we roll out our rookie rankings on Player Profiler, for example, and everyone should go get our rookie rankings, or we put it all together with the write-ups, the stats, the comparables, playstyle comparables, metrics comparables, all the key stats you need, plus all of Cody's thoughts and grades on all these players. We put it in our rookie guide. It's only 10 bucks on the homepage of playerprofiler.com. Go do it. Just to support what Cody's doing, support his work. If you appreciate him, just go download the, the rookie guide now. But that also then makes its way into the rookie rankings. That's why the rookie rankings are they're so good because it's like we've got all the bases covered unlike any other projection and ranking service, and he's at the center of all of that. And then at, at he was also hosting every single pick. He yeah, was the main that, guy at the desk running the program and doing by far and away the most talking and analysis, and the rest of us were just sort of cycling through. Yeah, I mean, 259 draft picks is a lot of people that know something about period. Even to know how to say their names, is that's a lot, right? And we talk about this often. <clears throat> we're not just a, a fantasy football site, right? We have context from guys like Alex from Roster Watch. Cody's doing real-life football work, you know, we're starting to expand past simply being a fantasy analysis site, right? We saw what happened last year. We're going to project into this year. No, no, no. Now we're going into pro days and asking questions. You know, we're hopefully going to be in training camp, telling you what's happening live on the scenes, right? If Roshan Johnson breaks out at training camp and is RB1 for the Bears, you're going to hear it first. I mean, if, come on. When? Yeah, it's when. when. It's when. Yeah, and, and, and you see, uh, uh, some people don't get it. Like I, I saw on social media, I said, hey, raise your hand in shame if you think that Khalil Herbert or Dante Foreman's better than Roshan Johnson. And people are raising their hand. It's like, well, okay. They're not. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just not. They're, they're not. They're, I mean, they're fine. Khalil Herbert's fine. Khalil Herbert's a, a good player. I appreciate Khalil Herbert very much. But come He's on not now. the belt. Yeah, it's, it's a, again, Roshan Johnson... And the, the context that's important here, right, is he was a really productive rusher for Texas the year before Bijan got there, right? Like, it's not like we have no evidence of production with him as the bell cow. But now, one thing that, that's going to get lost in all of this, right, is Bijan was the bell cow for Texas. All those carries, all those hits went to his body and not Roshan's, right? So you might get a little bit fresher a running back than you're used to simply because he didn't take the toll that Bijan took at Texas, right? And we have evidence from year one that he can be a bell cow. All the testing metrics suggest that he's going to be a productive NFL running back. He landed in an ideal situation for a team that's going to want to run the ball. What more do you want? I don't know. He didn't have a great burst score. He didn't destroy the vertical jump and the broad jump. But there's a bunch of running backs that didn't do that and if you can break tackles if you have great instincts you have a great feel for the position you don't necessarily have to have the greatest burst score he's not the guy to run the stretch zone blocking scheme and be behind that and get to the edge put his foot in the ground and accelerate upfield he's not Tevin Coleman on the Falcons that's not it that's not the fit right he's no. much more of a Le'Veon Bell type player he's not going to be Le'Veon Bell but Le'Veon Bell wasn't a first round pick and Le'Veon Bell didn't have great burst. Le'Veon Bell is just a great running back in all the, the key areas of the game where running backs are called upon to make plays on actual NFL football fields. That's what Roshan Johnson's great at, and it required a Bijan-level talent in order to supplant him, but he didn't flee Texas like Keontae Ingram. He didn't run and hide. He was committed to that program, and he was one of their leaders. And having seen him at the senior bowl and seen the other running backs at the senior bowl from chase Brown to Tajay Spears and on down Cameron peoples, there was such a gap, such a chasm between him and what he brought to the table and how he carried himself and how he performed in practice versus those other guys. Even Tajay Spears, who was great. People barely talked about him. I was talking about him with Ray Garvin after the first practice. Right. So I was like this Tajay Spears guy. And we were talking about his injury and, and how he's all the way back, and we're excited. But the NFL Network went straight to Roshan Johnson after that first practice. They they beelined right to him. Pelissero, boom. Tom Pelissero went right straight, just good on a line, right to Roshan at the center of 
the football field. Now, we have to, Anand, we, we absolutely have to talk about the, uh, the, the big winners and the big losers from the NFL draft coming up after this. Breakout ratings on the Breakout Finder are live. 2023 breakout ratings are ready for you to access. Go to the App Store. Go to Google Play. Get the Breakout Finder to find out just how bad this draft class actually is. So the Breakout Finder, we project the draft slot of every player. And then once the actual draft slots come in, we rerun the model. We rerun the machine. And... There have been a lot of updates to the Breakout Finder just in the last 24 hours. Dario just completed a massive update and a synchronization of the Breakout Finder. So get it now. If you already have it, go check it out, and you'll see the differences. You'll see the big movers up and down uh, the Breakout Finder breakout ratings, and that's going to be a topic of conversation over the next week or two is who moved up and who moved down the most in the Breakout Finder. But we want to make sure we talk about it uh, because it is – uh, just $5 in the App Store uh, to, to check out all the breakout ratings and, and, and machine learning predictions, probabilities of whether each player is going to break out at the NFL level. And some of these players have a breakout rating above 50%, which is incredible. Now, one player has a breakout rating above 80%. Can you guess his name? I have not a clue. Bijan Robinson, bro. Mm, yeah, yeah Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson yeah. has because he's a running back drafted in the first round. He has by far and away the highest breakout rating in the database by far and away, and he's not a satellite back like Jameer Gibbs. So he's just in a, in a, in a totally different tier in the breakout finder to everybody else, as he should be. As he should be. Is but it's interesting to see the precise probability that Bijan Robinson breaks out. It's fascinating. It was really awesome. Again, going back to our time in Kansas City, watching Dario and Billy work right. Because sometimes, you know, when you get to the late 200s for some of these guys, when you get down to an A.T. Perry Wake Forest that was drafted by New Orleans and I think round six, right? The way that, that all of this comes together, right, is sometimes Billy would n nudge me or Cody and be like, hey, what do you think of this player? How are they going to fit into this so that we can figure out and tweak, you know, target share in New Orleans for this player or for that player and kind of get a comprehensive picture of not only – what does A.T. Perry look like? But what does that do to Olave's target share? What does that do, you know, based on what we consider all of the other players in that New Orleans backfield and in that New Orleans offense? How do we tweak all of their stuff also? So to watch that happen in real time as Dario and uh, as, as Dario and uh, and Billy were going ahead and doing that was really cool to see. Obviously, everybody's insight was was taken into account. And, you know, that's that's why. That's why when we do stuff like that, we have the best of the best. Yeah. Now, you and I, we talk about actual NFL teams and what they're doing. Yeah. So let's talk about the big winners and losers team by team in the NFL draft. I have about five to ten big losers, and I have five to ten big winners. And about 15 teams that are like, hey, had a good draft. and Nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Let's start with the winners, and then we'll talk about the losers. Okay? So... I believe that the biggest winner from the draft, the best general manager, was Chris Ballard, the Indianapolis Colts. Do you agree? Yeah, it's it's to me, it's one of two. It's either them or the Eagles. I think they maneuvered magnificently. Both of them did. Got what they needed in terms of pieces. And then the thing that I really loved is, and we'll go into this in a second, but go look at the quarterbacks in the AFC right now. If you want the list of them, We'll run it down for you really quickly because as we read this list off, I want you to figure out who your QB 13 among this list is, right? Go ahead. So in the East, you've got Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones. In the North, you've got Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Kenny Pickett. In the Whoa. South, you now have Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud. You have Anthony Richardson. And you potentially have Will Levis at some point this year. Woo! And then in the West, you've got Mahomes, Herbert, Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo. Whoa. Your quarterback 13 in the AFC may be Mac Jones, right? Like, we're like, you're look at, look at what is in front of you right now. It's insane. 
And so the reason that I love so much that the Colts swung for the fences with an Anthony Richardson is if you have just a guy, if you're the Raiders and you're starting Jimmy Garoppolo, you have no hope for wading through all that. You can wade through the injuries and hope your team carries you, but I promise you, you're not beating Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Trevor Lawrence in a row. It's just not going to happen, right? And so that's the really concerning part if you're an AFC team that has a quarterback with a low ceiling. And I'll give Mac a year, another year away from Patricia, and I'll give Kenny Pickett another year in Pittsburgh, right? Because we've seen guys take a year two jump or a year three jump before. I'm not saying they're dead in the water, but if that ceiling isn't there, you're going to have to make tough decisions by the end of year three on both of those guys. So, so what you're saying is, so what you're saying is, if you have a, a quarterback who's number one, and we have athleticism score, which looks at size and forty time and burst, you know, vertical jump, broad jump, agility, which is shuttle, three cone, we have a database of two hundred and seventy eight quarterbacks at PlayerProfiler.com. Go to PlayerProfiler.com, type in Anthony Richardson, and you'll see the athleticism score is one of two hundred and seventy eight. And by the way, Marcus Mosier told me that the Dallas Cowboys are known to use playerprofiler.com and that you can actually see Player Profiler on the computer screens at some of these front offices. That's awesome. And that he told me in no uncertain terms that one of the reasons why Dallas passed on Michael Mayer in the first round, they were considering Mayer in the first round. He was on their board as a potential first-round pick. And they passed on him because of where he ranked in our athleticism score all time. Can you believe that? That's fucking awesome. Can you? Do you want to know where Michael Mayer ranks in our athleticism score all time? And again, it factors in size. Michael Mayer is a relatively undersized tight end. He's sub-250 pounds. And because his burst score and his agility score were both sub-50th percentile, he ranked 464 out of 466 all time. It was really bad. His athleticism score is really bad, and that was enough of a concern where Dallas has said, we know any of these players can bust, no matter how dominant they were in college, any player can bust. And one way to cover ourselves is to just make sure that time and time and time again, we're at least bringing elite athletes into the building. Right. And, and if they if they're also productive in college, then great. Right. CeeDee Lamb was prolific. Like there was there wasn't a doubt and he was fast enough and he was athletic enough. Then great. That's fine. It's not going to be a reason why we don't draft a guy. But especially in a deep class where you have all these, you know, Musgraves and Mayers and Kincaids, they didn't want to use a first round pick on a guy with that athleticism score. Meanwhile, the Colts. That's all they did. They just shopped at the top shelf of athleticism score on playerprofiler.com and just found the number one guy, the number one guy. We talked about Julius Brents. You go down the board. It's Ooh. just, it's it's one guy after another, all the way down to Darius Rush. You know, Darius Rush runs a 4-3-8, and he played in the SEC. And Darius then he went Rush in the freak fifth round. Blake the fifth Freeland, round. That's the Tariq Woolen of this class. Fifth round pick. It's crazy. I, it, it, it's hard to argue, right? Adam Matoma, Adam Aware. Because I can't get all the syllables exactly right, I just kind of flow through it. Adam Matoma, Adam Aware. Like, I don't actually say the whole like pronunciation of the word. You're not just going to call him Ade Ade? Yeah, I just, I just got Adam Aware, Adam Aware. And it, he had the best athleticism score at edge. Freeland, top athleticism score at tackle. This was one of the greatest drafts of all time by the Colts. And certainly, you, you keep going down the board, Will Mallory. He was by far and away the, the most athletic tight end. Other than Kuntz clearly had some issues, whether it was uh, he was uh, too stiff. There was something with Kuntz that, get, that chased most teams off of him. But outside of Kuntz, the next best available athlete at tight end on day three was Will Mallory. Then Evan Hull is just the perfect complement to Jonathan Taylor. You just go down the board, 
And, you know, who were they drafting in the, in the later rounds? They were drafting a guy from Wagner, a guy from Northern Michigan, which is the only way you're going to get any edge on the competition in the, those later rounds. You know, it was, I just, I can't say enough. There's, I, I don't have any words. I, I don't have any words. And the idea that anyone would argue that, no, no, it was this team. No, no, it was the Steelers. No, no, it was this, that. No, no. It was clearly the Colts. It's a wide margin. They aced the test. It's 100 out of 100, and I, I would put it in the top 10 drafts of all time. The biggest question that we had going into this draft wasn't, is Chris Ballard decent at identifying talent? The question was, can he finally get quarterback that matters? That matters, right? Like We're not talking about a one-year rental here. We're not talking about a guy that's a savvy veteran that's going to come in and give you a few snaps and get you to 9-8. and eight. If Anthony Richardson hits, you're talking about a profile that has never been seen before. Cam Newton was a freak athlete. He didn't run a 4-4. At 245? He didn't run a 4-4 at 245. With a big arm. I mean, this was, this is it. This is the 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 nuclear weapon, right? This is the 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 thing you need to compete in the AFC. You're right about that. Yeah, the thing is, if you're going to swing, right? If you're in the NFC, if you're the New Orleans Saints, you can get away with Derek Carr for a period of time. If you're in the AFC... Bryce Young, you can get away with. Yeah, right? You can get away with Bryce Young. There is a... If you are in the AFC and trying to win in the next five or six years, look at the murderer's row of quarterbacks that you have to go through with competent front offices, with competent head coaches. It's just a bloodbath over there, right? And every year you're going to have to either go through one of these three teams is probably going to be the number one in any given year. You're going to have to go through Kansas City, through Buffalo, or through Cincinnati. And that's not even including the Chargers and Herbert. You're going to have to go through Trevor Lawrence. You might have to deal with the Deshaun Watson or a, you know, a Lamar Jackson that they've finally given weapons to now. Like this is if you are going to draft somebody next year, Raiders, if they're a middling quarterback with an average ceiling, just don't even bother. Just kick the can down the road. Wait until you can find if it's not Caleb Williams or Drake May, don't even bother. Don't even bother. Okay, so like, Houston drafted CJ Stroud. And you're saying that might not have been good enough. We'll talk about Houston a little bit later when we talk about the worst drafts, right? The worst yeah. drafts are, are coming up. Don't worry. Philadelphia had the second best draft. They just traded down at will as they've been doing, banked future picks, and then just drafted Georgia elite defenders that just dropped to them, didn't make mistakes, just kind of took the best of value that came to them, didn't panic and trade up just was like uh so yeah we're gonna go with that another georgia guy that's awesome and they got that so they got two of cody's top three players on his big board went to the eagles can you believe that look at what they did even after that right like loved what love what the bears did obviously moving down a spot and picking up a four for a guy that they weren't going to take clearly but the real marvel here is Howie Roseman sat at 10, moved up, gave up a fourth for the guy that he wanted at nine, right? And then they're like, oh, okay. in our minds, we're all like, ah, oh, shit. Well, they missed out on Nolan Smith because they gave up one more pick and went to get Jalen Carter. Fine, whatever it is, what it is. 20 picks later, they're sitting on the clock. They don't have to move up. They don't do anything. And Nolan Smith is there, right? So the guy that was mocked from the ends of the earth, it was very clear that they wanted him, right? The guy that they wanted at 10 and the guy that they thought would never be there at 10, they got both of them and had to move an extra fourth. That's it. They got both the guy that they wanted if they would have traded up to three and the guy that they would have taken if they had stuck in pick at 10 at 9 and 30 and gave up a fourth round pick in the process. Then they went to go get Tyler Steen. Right. And the only reason Tyler Steen was available is because he's going to switch positions. He's going to go from tackle to guard in the NFL. So it's harder to project. So what? They just draft big athletic dogs. Then they stole Keely Ringo. Yes. That was quietly the best pick. And then they, they added another to the quarterback factory and Tanner McKee, who some people are really excited about. And then Alex Dunlap's guy, right? We didn't know if he was going to get drafted at all. If his agent had just said, hey, you know, we don't want him to be drafted. But, you know, 
last 10 picks of the draft, Moro Ojimo, the defensive tackle from Texas, right? Another just junkyard dog. If you want another guy in your rotation that's just going to fight and scrap, because, I mean, you're going to start Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, right? But, again, rotations are important no matter who you are. And to get that kind of depth in round seven and then five-star Eli Ricks from Bama as an undrafted free agent, right? I mean, they're just they're cleaning up house in Philly. It's hard to argue that anybody is doing a better job as a general manager than Howie Roseman is right now. I mean, you're talking about the best overall player on everybody's board at nine overall. You're talking about a easily top 10 player in Nolan Smith at 30 overall. A likely first-round pick had he not moved from tackle to guard in Tyler Steen. Sidney Brown, again, another guy that at early at latest people thought was going to be a round two guy. Ringo was mocked in round one to some people. Like, this is just hilarious. That was a ridiculous play. I, I couldn't believe that. I mean, the rich get richer. I mean, this roster is just ridiculous. Yeah, and it was interesting. The beginning of the fourth round was so rich with talent. It's almost like all the NFL teams got tired in the second half of the third round. And they started making a bunch of bad picks. And they all got some sleep. And they were like, wait a second. All these guys are available? Nick Saldaviri kicks it off, right? You have a 6'6", 320-pound. Who they traded up for, by the way. Tackle, right? He's going to play tackle. And he was awesome at the Senior Bowl. He's available. Jacorian Bennett, the cornerback from Maryland, goes to the Raiders at the 402. He runs a 4-3 flat. Then Ringo. Then Blake Freeland. Then Jake Andrews from Troy, one of the best centers in the draft, if not the best. Then Anthony Bradford, the giant guard from LSU. And then Adebaware goes to the Colts again. I mean, that the first eight to nine picks, because Dewan Jones... Right, 375 project, but you know, a high upside project from Ohio State. He goes at the 409, rate three, and then and then of course the the Patriots had to blow it with a kicker, uh, blow the streak. But th- those first nine picks in the fourth round were just exquisite. I thought that was very cool to see. Marcus Mosier believes the Patriots had a great draft. What do you think? I think it depends on how you are going to evaluate the specialists, right? There is an argument to be made that they overcorrected because of some of the special teams blunders from a year ago. And if you subscribe to that thought, then yeah, there's a lot not to like about New England's draft, right? But on the other side, can we talk about Christian Gonzalez for a second? Because you want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about a Bill Belichick defensive back. Like you just know somewhere. Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are swearing over the fact that Belichick gets this guy and they never could kite get him on campus in Athens or in Tuscaloosa because, my God, is that a perfect fit, right? I mean, you know that they had to run in that card. Sitting at 17, there's no way in hell they thought he No one thought that it would... With Nolan Smith and Christian Gonzalez, those are the two picks, but no one thought they'd be available where they went. No. It's insanity. Oh, I mean, that was just silliness. The fact that that he was there at 17 at all. I don't even know how much they scouted him as much as they were like, yeah, right, this guy's going to be there. Okay, sure, whatever. And then they, I'm sure they tripped over themselves running in that card. And then Keon White, (laughs) who would probably have been a halfway decent pick at 17 anyway. Yeah, so so you're agreeing. You're agreeing. Yes, the, 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 the Patriots had a good draft. The Patriots had a top 10 draft. We also agree, uh, Arizona, right? Arizona had a top 10 draft. Is, Matt, isn't it nice to have an adult in the room? Right. Just yeah, one. Who just is one. The, who's the general manager over there in Arizona? The general manager is the old director of player personnel for the Titans. His name is Monty Ossenfort, and mm-hmm. it is a night and day difference, is it not, from the Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, Arizona Cardinal? Kime Keem? Yeah. I don't know. I don't care. Who? This is, a, this is just a brand new approach. Trading down the master stroke deal with the Texans, just owned the Texans and and got everything they wanted without having the second pick or the third pick overall, just being able to do whatever they wanted. It was amazing. It was it was they they really it was like this team controls the draft. No, this team controls the draft. Actually, Arizona controlled the draft. Arizona owned the draft. We tried to tell you this two months ago. 
Yeah, Arizona and Philadelphia really ran this draft. They they really did. It was beautiful to watch to get Paris Johnson. That's how you rebuild, people. That's how you do it. That's how you rebuild with players like Paris Johnson. That's how you do it. They traded down and then they traded back up, right? Yep. And then the, they gave themselves the flexibility. They were the ones owning this draft. And then the 210, BJ Ojolari, one of the better pass rushers, easily could have been a first round pick, easily. Garrett Williams, Michael Wilson, just the trade alone, right? The, all they needed was the trade. The trade was what won them the draft or made them one of the top drafters. Everything else, the, 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 the quality selections was icing on the cake. Yeah, and I think if you go to their late-round drafts, right, when you look at the profiles of players that teams are going to take late in drafts, sure, you could get a kicker or a punter or whoever you want there, but to get Clayton Toon, who might start games for them this year, right, if he turns into something that they can flip, right? Because we know Kyler Murray's going to miss extended time. They hope he's there at the beginning of the season. I don't know why they would even bother putting him out there. This team is terrible. They're going to be terrible in 2023, but that's not a reflection of this draft. That's just a reflection of where the roster was before this draft, which we really like. Getting Clayton Toon there, I think, was a great idea. And then Keytrell Clark, right? In the sixth round as your slot corner, I think he's going to play for him. I think he's going to be really productive. And that's exactly where you take a defensive back from Louisville that isn't Jair Alexander, right? That is a little bit undersized. That is going to have more of a specialized role in the NFL. Keytrell Clark, I think, is going to be a really good player for them. That's what you do. Round four, guard. Round five, inside backer. Round six, dime corner. That's yeah. what you do. That's the types of positions you want to fill in those rounds. And then you want to put the premium picks up in the top ten. Like, oh, left tackle. Oh, edge that's what they did it was the perfect use of draft capital by position and the best execution of a trade down we saw that's why yeah. the cardinals are a top five draft yeah the cardinals got paris johnson at six when they probably if they had been forced to stick there it was either going to be will anderson or paris johnson right so clearly a guy that was because the quarterbacks were off their board there's not there's no way they were taking any of them but if you looked at their draft board, it was probably Will Anderson, Paris Johnson, and then Jalen Carter. And they would have had their choice of the three at number six anyway, which, again, brilliant, right? Will Anderson just happened to go three where they moved out. We all agree that Pittsburgh had a good draft. They just kind of went chalk. They did what Pittsburgh does. They draft good players. This is your classic Kevin Colbert, Omar Khan draft, right? Some call him the Khan artist. Love that nickname. <laughs> I mean, they just they just sat there and absolutely robbed the NFL draft of talent, right? Like, this is exactly what you want if you're a fan of Pittsburgh. Because the thing is, like, you don't want to show them giving up on Kenny Pickett immediately. Broderick Jones at 14, the absolute mountain of a kid from Georgia. I mean, come on, man. That was Cody's number four player. Yeah. Number four yeah. player, the best lineman. You could go Johnson or Jones, either one. Get one of them, and, and then to have Jones go eight picks after Johnson was a crime. And then you get Joey Porter Jr. and the, the old jersey of his dad with the first pick in the second round, which they stole from the Bears for Chase Claypool, right? Don't forget, don't forget the reason that they have that pick, right? So you flipped Chase Claypool into Joey Porter Jr., Congratulations. Uh, that's 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 something special. What an apropos player to go to. Joey Porter. Oh my god. This is a lineage type franchise. They they just love good football players with football names from football families. Just football. That's the Steelers. Matt, they have an edge rusher that's pretty good in Pittsburgh. He played college football at a small school called Wisconsin. So with their second second round pick, they took a defensive lineman out of Wisconsin, named Keanu Benton, who is another very large human being that moves rather quickly for his size. Loved him. And then we get to potentially the most Steelers pick of all time, Darnell Washington in round three, right? There was talk, will he go at the end of round one? Oh, he's definitely going in round two. No, we'll just sit it there until 93. And once we get this 6'8", 200, upper 200-pound 200 freak of nature here, 
We'll decide if we want to use him as a sixth offensive lineman or a tight end. Godspeed. Good luck. If you're going to put a safety on him, good luck. If you're going to put a linebacker on him, good luck. And if you're going to allow us to basically have a sixth offensive lineman, have fun, man. Najee Harris is coming right at you. Good luck. Like, that's a perfect pick for them in the sense that, one, Pat Fryermuth's role doesn't change all that much given this, right? He's just going to get to be more of a route runner. And Darnell's going to be that functional sixth offensive lineman. But if you ignore him, he will kill you, right? We saw it at Georgia. As soon as you treat him like a sixth offensive lineman, they're going to throw it to him and you're in big trouble. Okay. Fourth round, you go Nick Herbig, another linebacker from Wisconsin. Have you heard this I before? I mean, Nick Herbig, linebacker <laughs> from Wisconsin, goes to the Steelers. I mean, I mean, again, this was the most cliche in a good way draft by the Steelers of all time. Let's move on. Chicago had a great draft, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we need to have a little bit of a comparison here, Matt, because off camera you asked me a little bit about what Houston gave up for Will Anderson as a comparison to what the Bears got for the 101. Yeah, let's talk about right? that. So Houston, to move from 12 to 3, gave up number 12 overall, number 33 overall. They're 24 first and they're 24 third for Will Anderson because now we know who the pick is, right? And they got back. Will Anderson and number 105. Carolina, to move from 9 to 1, gave up 9, 61, 2024 first, 2025 second, and DJ Moore. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, both franchises made out like bandits, right? They, they, both were too much. Yeah. And that's why two of the best drafts were the Cardinals and, uh, hello, the Bears. It doesn't have to be hard. Like, no, drafting doesn't have to be hard. And that's why the story that came out that NFL GMs are upset with Howie Roseman, he's just taking advantage of you guys blowing shit up. It's not like he's reinventing the what wheel. What are they upset about? He's not like he's reinventing the wheel. They're upset? That is one of the softest things I've ever heard. These are people that are supposedly commanding and controlling football players, and they're complaining that another executive is more cerebral than they are, crunching the numbers better than they are? Oh, please. What did they say? What was the complaint? The complaint was that Howie Roseman is basically getting too much credit for what he's doing. And all he's doing is taking advantage of y'all grenading yourselves. That's what it is. So is that was that, that was the argument then? They said he's getting too much credit, we suck? Yeah. <laughs> basically, it was just, it's, you know, he's taking advantage of a system that has y'all twisted in pretzels trying to figure out what to do when all you really need to do is tie your shoe. If Broderick Jones is there at 14, fucking take him. Yeah. This isn't hard. And he he got the original, so the, the kernel that was planted in the ground that allowed all this to happen was Jalen Hurts in the second round. But everybody had that option. Everybody Jalen Hurts ticked by every single team before the Eagles drafted him. So everybody had the option of drafting Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts has a quality that is not talked about enough. The reason why that the Eagles are comfortable bringing on all of these players that have had intersections with law enforcement and have been devalued by other teams, discounted due to character concerns and quotes, right? The reason why the Eagles are more comfortable bringing those types of players into the building is because of Jalen Hurts, because he is that North Star, because he leads by example, right? His father was a football coach. He has size. He has gravitas. And he can walk up to every single player, similar to what Tom Brady did in New England, that New England was comfortable bringing in literal murderers. Because they knew that the respect that Tom Brady commanded would create a calm and serene atmosphere in practice and in the locker room. And though literal murders were happening off the field and away from the locker room, they were winning games on the field. And having that North Star, having that Tom Brady character, this is the thing that, say, an Aaron Rodgers never signed up for was never willing to go to this point and never willing to be the leader that a Tom Brady was. And now we see Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, I believe, is taking what Tom Brady did, the roadmap that he 
built in New England and taking it to a whole new level with Philadelphia where they're comfortable. They're just like, we're going to bring this guy into the building and we're going to introduce him to Jalen. And this is going to be just part of the assimilation into our culture and the competitive advantage that a Jalen Hurts, not only with his, with his second round contract for a period of time, but no matter what they pay him, it's so much it's so, so much value they're getting on what he brings to the locker room. And again, this is not something that I would have even whispered, even thought. It wouldn't have crossed my mind, and I would have mocked people that had that would mention it as a, a point of value for Jalen Hurts five years ago. I would have laughed. Now that I've seen some things and, and, and talked to people like Cody and Alex Dunlap for many years, I have this appreciation for some of the things that the players bring to the table that don't show up in the box score, that we don't have metrics for. And if the general managers want to say, Howie Roseman's getting too much credit because we're idiots, fine. Howie Roseman's getting too much credit because he has this sort of uh, you know protective shield on the locker room in Jalen Hurts. That's fine, but I I haven't heard either of those things. Yeah, look, there is there are certain positions in sports, and we've talked about what it's like being Cowboys quarterback that are just lightning rods, right? And it requires a certain level of you just need to be an adult, right? Like one of the questions that we have about Green Bay that we had about Rodgers in Green Bay once we kind of knew he was going to New York is how's he going to deal with that media? Because the, the there, there's a difference between being a quarterback in New York and being a quarterback in green Bay, right? The Eagles quarterback is another one of those things, right? The fans were ready to throw Carson Wentz under the bus a year after he was borderline an MVP candidate after he threw for 4,000 yards with you, me and Dupree at receiver. Right. And a year later they were ready to run him out of town. And the thing with Jalen is this locker room is so tight-knit, how he has such a clear plan here. Jeffrey Lurie is signing off on everything he does. Nick Sirianni clearly building a culture there that no one player is really going to mess that up, right? And now they can afford to have multiple of those players, right? Whoever it is that they bring in. And it's because they've built a culture over years, right? It didn't happen overnight. Over years, they built a culture where now they can bring in guys like that. And I think that that's what you're seeing start to happen in Chicago is they're adopting the model of, hey, we need a lot of help. Let's just take the best player that we can get at a premium position where we can get him. And that's how you end up with Darnell Wright at 110, right? He wasn't the best tackle on everybody's board, but he was the best tackle on their board. And they figured, hey, we have to protect Justin Fields. Last year, the biggest problem with the last year, the biggest problem that we had was the best part of our offense was Justin running for his life, right? That can't be the plan every year. And that's why you have to trade down if you have one of those picks. That's why the trade down is so powerful because then at that point, all you need to do is just go chalk. Just to go the greatest need at the most valuable position who is the greatest difference maker that's available. It's just one plus one plus one equals three. Draft Darnell Wright. One plus one plus one equals three. Draft Gervon Dexter, draft Tyreek Stevenson. It's easy. Zach Pickens. Draft Roshan Johnson. Draft Roshan Johnson. Roshan in the fourth round, just perfect. Just the perfect picks. Perfect picks. Then what do they do? What do they do late? Oh, Kennesaw Valley State. D-tackle from Kennesaw Valley State. Total project. Maybe the guy puts on weight, Travis Bell, who knows? Practice squad, whatever. But it's just yep. the right types of players with the right profiles in the right rounds. That's all you have to do. And if, you, if you're if you trading down, you're banking picks late, and you're banking picks next year, then at that point you just have to just follow the board and you don't have to get creative. You don't have to pick up the phone. You don't have to do anything. You If you're Chicago or you're Arizona, you just – Hang up the phone, process the trade, and you just put your feet up and you just like connect the dots on your board with every pick, and it's a wrap. Yeah, and the other two picks that I really liked in the mid-rounds, Tyler Scott in round two was a little rich for me, but in round four, right, 133 oh, yeah. overall. Sure. You, 
And then the guy that, you know, most people had in round one in their way too early 2023 mocks a year ago, Noah Sewell, the linebacker from Oregon. Now, this year was rough. Don't get me wrong. But again, we talked on the draft stream. One of the best ways to get values on players is to draft guys that had better seasons two years ago than they had last year when everybody wants to devalue what they did. And even if he busts, right, even if people are right about him in the sense that he's not an NFL caliber player, you only spent a day three lotto ticket on him. So who cares? Who cares? Exactly. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Now, let's talk about some sleeper teams. You mentioned a team in the Northwest that you believe had a sleeper quality draft. Maybe everyone thinks it's a quality draft. It's not a sleeper. It was a sleeper because I didn't think of them initially as having a great draft because of the Zach Charbonnet pick has scrambled my brain. Seattle. We got to talk about Seattle. Yeah. And we also have to talk here about what happens when someone messes with your plan, right? They clearly, and I mean clearly, clearly sniped, sniped the shit out of Detroit. Nobody on earth had Devin Weatherspoon to Seattle. And the reason is they found value at corner forever. They found Richard Sherman late. They found Brandon Browner late. Historically, just go back through all of the corners that Pete Carroll has ever had. Tariq Woolen? Tariq Woolen last year, right? Come on. So the idea that they would completely flip that on its head and take one at 105 tells you everything you need to know about how special the talent Devin Witherspoon is, right? He's really good. Really good. Then they got the best receiver in the draft in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And the question that people were asking is, well, you have DK and you have Tyler Lockett. Why? Because Tyler Lockett's not getting any younger. No, no. It was, it, was, it was a great pick. It was a great pick. By the way, though, I mean, I know Devin Witherspoon is a talent. He's 180 pounds. I don't believe in drafting a cornerback in the top five that's 180 pounds. Absolutely not. That's why I'm a Julius Brents guy. Because Julius Brents... Oh, Julius Brents, great player. ...is a monster. Devin Witherspoon's a different type of guy, and I understand that you need guys like Devin Witherspoon to, to cover the Devontae Smiths and the Tyree Kills. I understand that. I get it 100%. But that's just, for me especially at value, given where they were drafted, I'd much rather have a, a Julius Brents. I'm usually not going corner in the top five, so I didn't love the pick, but I think what, what you're looking at is a preponderance of picks. Great job on, on Jackson Smith and Jigba and not getting fooled by Quentin Johnston, who is slow Brashad Perriman, and then you know Derek Hall, the outside backer, who's actually 255 pounds from Auburn. Love the Anthony Bradford pick. Just a giant guard. We talked about that earlier. I just didn't see, an, there weren't enough uh, sort of correct answers on this particular test for me to put them in my top five or even top 10, but I understand why you did. I mean, Kenny McIntosh was a wasted pick. Charbonnet in the second round was complete squandering of, of draft capital. So I'm not there with you for a bunch of the reasons I just outlined, but I understand why you liked it they had four picks, four picks on and in the top 52. They had four picks in the top 52. Because of that, I think that your perception of their draft is skewed. You have to look at the value they got in each of those picks. I, the, my two favorite picks that they made actually were round five guys, and they're both Michigan guys. Mike Morris, who is going to be rotational edge rusher for them, and hes I absolutely believe he's going to make the roster. And then in round five, Olu Oluwatimi, the, the center from Michigan. Oh, 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 Watimi. Yeah. So I mean, you got you had two really good players in round five that are not only gonna not only gonna make the roster, but I think actually actively contribute as rookies and beyond. So it's more of of the they bolstered their roster in a way that good teams can afford to. And I think they realized last year, hey, we are a legitimate team. We do have some pieces that no one thought we'd have because we were looking at them as number one overall pick watch going into last year. Right. And they clearly, and, and last year's draft allowed them to take some swings in this year's draft that they probably otherwise might not have. But again, they waited until round five to get their, you know, situational edge rusher, their center potentially of the future, but we'll see. Um, and Ola with Timmy, because I think he can also play guard if they need him to. 
But what I love so much about Seattle's draft, other than the Charbonnet pick, which I hate for fantasy and real life reasons, they are going to be who they are, though. Seattle's always going to take a running back. We know this. Um, other than that, I thought that they really did well, given where they are and where they want to go, right? Because the NFC right now is there for the taking outside of Philly because we don't know what we're going to get out of the Niners quarterback room. Um, other than them in Dallas, right? You're talking about that that third and fourth spot is up for grabs and we'll see who comes to grab it. I think Seattle did a great job with what they could um, in terms of trying to push that envelope and really get to the top of the conference. Grab them by the Seahawks. Now, I have a sleeper team that not enough people are talking about that I thought had a great draft. Why is no one talking about the Buccaneers? I think we should talk about the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers at 19, Kalijah Kansi. Right now, if you're going to take a disruptive like run defender, just make sure you don't take him in the top 10. Okay, So this, this was at least a, a little bit better value than Vita Vea from the past. But this is, this is a, a three technique that can not just defend the run, but just can disrupt the entire interior of any given play at any given time. So I love this pick from Pittsburgh. He, he we, 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 Not typically the type of guy that I would go for, but there weren't that many three techniques in this draft that were any good. He was one of a few. And so from a scarcity standpoint, I understood it, and I don't hate it. How about that? I didn't hate the Kalijah Cansey pick, but I know that Alex and Cody liked it a lot. Yeah, they're they're chasing, you know, like we've seen when guys are kind of a little bit misbodied, we'd call them, right? They're not typical size profiles for certain positions. The thing that you look for is, well, if he breaks out fully and turns into this, what is he going to turn into? And I think their hope is that they get the diet, diet Aaron Donald. That's what they're hoping for. I know. Yeah, the three technique. But... He was the biggest riser on Cody's big board. He was up 12 spots by draft day. Really good player. Yeah, Cody was super thrilled with, with his tape, his profile, uh, and, and just uh, thought it was great, great, great pick. Solid, again, not a mistake. At least it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a whiff. It was a solid pick. And then they followed up with two of the best picks, three of the best picks, my, three of my favorite picks in the entire draft were Cody Motch, He's a first-round talent. He's missing his front teeth. He's got long Viking hair. He is going to be a complete animal. Animal. I mean, animal. I think they're gonna are they gonna move him to guard. I think they probably will move him. They probably move him to guard. I I don't think he's quite big enough to play right tackle in the league. Likely moving him to guard, and he's going to be one of those guards in the league. He's going to be in the league for 15 years. We're all going to know him at various points. Uh, for d- d- plays he makes where his helmet gets ripped off or there's some dirty play where he's biting a guy. It's going to be amazing. He's going to be amazing. And then Yaya Diaby, one of the best picks in the third round, I couldn't believe how far he fell. Neither could Cody. And then we also couldn't believe how far Trey Palmer fell. Trey Palmer is one of, if not the best quintessential field stretchers in this draft. Right? There's a lot of small... Z profile receivers, but Trey Palmer is the only one that's six foot one ninety, but also has the four three flat wheels. And the fact that he went in in round four, the fourteenth pick in the sixth round, that's insane. Look at the, the you know Darius Davis, all these guys going before him. I'm like, he can play special teams. I thought just based on special teams, he'd be a fourth round pick. I thought the fourth round was the absolute floor for him that he could leak into the the early third maybe early third to late fourth I thought that was the range of Trey Palmer a lot of these other wide receivers the range in the middle rounds is is much wider you really don't like it's 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 harder like Cedric Tillman I really it was hard for me to figure out where he might go right I knew Michael Wilson was a third round pick that was locked in Trey Palmer I figured the special teams ability would not allow him to make it out of the fourth round. Those guys almost never make it out of the fourth round. And yet he made it to the sixth round. So that was fantastic. Uh, he's not just a special teamer, though. He put up over 1,000 yards at Nebraska, and he was stuck behind a bunch of knuckleheads at LSU, which is why he had to transfer. Yeah, and look, again, one of the things that you can choose to bet on late in, late in the draft is 
kid was a five star. They don't give out a whole lot of those, right? If you're going to bet on a five star talent being underdeveloped by a program like Scott Frost's Nebraska, and he's a dog, top dog rating. And I, the thing is, I tried to talk to him at the Senior Bowl, and I, I we'll, we'll play the interview in the outtakes of the podcast. I did interview him, but I mean, he was stone faced. He was expressionless because I, I try to make guys laugh. I try to catch him off guard. I try to say funny stuff, be a little silly. And he was not having it. He is serious. He was the George Pickens of the Senior Bowl. Oh, shit. That's high praise. And I'm like, well, and, and, and to me, I respect that. Yeah. I, I love the affable guys. Evan Hall, super affable. Musgrave, affable, right? Cool guys. Trey Palmer was just there for business. He was on a business trip. Matt? You haven't even gotten to my favorite pick of this entire draft class, uh, of this entire oh, Bucks draft class. Please. Who was the last player? The last player they selected. Oh, I know, Jose Ramirez, outside linebacker, edge from Eastern Michigan, Jose Ramirez. Yes, the small school backer. Hey, if you look up two years from now, and Jose Ramirez is a very productive, and I said very, not just productive, very productive edge rusher for them do not be surprised at all because there were teams that i think had him much higher than that that just didn't get a chance to take him other positional needs whatever the situation was jose ramirez is a guy that you're going to look at in two or three years and be like whoa where did he come from and the answer is pick 190 yeah i mean he's got an 11 25 wide receiver level agility score and he's above average in in the 40 time in the burst score but an exceptional agility score. So you get that kind of athlete at edge in the sixth round, unfair. Yeah. Unfair. Everybody remember this pick. Everybody remember we told you we were one of the one of the few shows talking about the Buccaneers draft. I haven't heard anyone talking about the Buccaneers draft. I mean, they did really well, Matt. I don't think it was awesome. I don't think I, I went through this fully enough. But I mean, again, Trey Palmer, Jose Ramirez in the sixth round, that's enough for me to be. It's enough for me to be on board with a good draft class. Right, and we will talk about the worst drafts, the absolute worst drafts, next time. Howie Roseman's getting too much credit because we're idiots. Oh, 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 Timmy. We're not going to get to the big losers. So apologies to the, the live stream people. It was a misleading title on the stream. We will update the title on YouTube. The podcast audience has no idea this is even happening. They have no idea there was a big misleading of the YouTube audience, but we're not going to get to the big losers. We're only going to get to the big winners here because uh, we just, God damn it, we, we, we have too many great takes on it. That's the thing. We're, we're a victim of our own excellence. That And we talk about winners first here. Yeah, well, I wanted to save the losers because I thought, oh, that's that's what I'm going to tease. But I teased it right into oblivion. Uh, and I'm going to be in Corfu, Greece, next week. But I'm bringing my microphone. So maybe we can do a show and I'll, I'll do the show from Corfu. How about that? How about that? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. So, But I have a sleeper. I have a sleeper team. Just football. That's the Steelers. I mean, I mean, again, this was the most cliche in a good way draft by the Steelers of all time. He didn't run a 4-4 at 245. The small school backer! Hey! So actually, this sewage forced us to upgrade our studio space. If you look up two years from now, and Jose Ramirez is a very productive, and I said very, not just productive, very productive edge rusher for them, do not be surprised at all. Again, Trey Palmer, Jose Ramirez in the sixth round, that's enough for me to be. It's enough for me to be on board with a good draft class. Dogs. It's enough for me to be on board with a good draft class.
Grab him by the Seahawk. We're a victim of our own excellence.